A DVD drive is a remarkably complex optical assembly. Various layers hold the disc, control its rotation, and move the head that reads and writes the optical data. Let's disassemble each layer to see exactly how it works. Here are the motor and gears that drive the tray in and out of the drive. The same mechanism is used to lift the rotation motor up into the disc. A disc is placed in the tray and the tray partially closed. We then bring in the rotation assembly and move around the side to see how the tray mechanism works. As the tray is pulled closed, a curved white rail engages a post sticking up from the blue cam. This shifts the cam so that its teeth engage a gear that finishes the job of moving it to the left. As the cam moves, two metal pins lift the rotation motor, threading its spindle through the center of the disc. Finally, we add the mechanism that moves the optical read-write head in and out along the disc's radius. This mechanism appears fairly simple and uses inexpensive plastic gears. However, it has to be quite precise as it must keep the head centered over a single track of data. This is the heart of the ZD drive, the optical head that reads and writes the data on the disc. Here are its basic components. A semiconductor laser directed through a beam splitter and focusing lens to the CD. The highly reflective CD with information burned in as a pattern of black pits. And a photodetector that not only reads the data, but also controls the laser's focus and steering. The laser beam passes through a beam splitter and focusing lens. Where it strikes reflective parts of the CD, it bounces back up. Part of this beam is then bent into the photocell. Here we trace the paths taken by photons on either edge of the laser beam. As the CD moves, you can see how its pattern of pits is translated into an optical signal at the photocell. But now things get complicated. DVDs are not perfectly flat. As the disc moves up and down, it can go above and below the point where the laser comes to a sharp focus. There, the laser may be so broad that it reads multiple bits of information. So we must move the lens to keep the laser sharply focused on the surface of the disc. To do this, the lens is built into a holder suspended by four wire springs. The holder is wrapped with wire to form an electromagnet. As current is fed to the magnet, it is pulled upward toward the iron blocks to its side. The trick is to figure out when we need to move the lens up and down, and by how much we should move it. To figure this out, we need to study what happens when the disc tries to move above or below the point where the laser focuses. We start by simplifying things a bit and looking at just a small reflective section of the disc. The disc's reflective surface bends the laser beam back upon itself. Then the beam splitter bends the beam to the left. This bending just makes things more complicated, so let's remove the bends. But then we have to clone the lens and put it at two positions, one for the beam's first pass through the lens, one for its second pass. Now, look more closely at the region where the laser should come to a focus at the surface of the disc. Convex lenses have a key property. If light enters the lens as a parallel beam, it will be focused into a single point. We represent this focal length as the first green arrow. It also works in reverse. Light that leaves the focal point and enters the second lens is then bent back into a parallel beam. Here we add a glowing blue-white dot to show the focal point. We trace two incoming rays of light to show how the first pass through the lens bends them inward so that they cross at the focal point. 
We then show how rays leaving that point are bent back into parallel paths as they pass through the lens a second time. But what happens if the disc starts to drift above or below the lens's focal point? If the disc drops, the laser travels a longer distance between passes through the lens. So it is as if the second lens moves downward, taking with it its focal point. But then light no longer converges at that lower lens's focal point, so it will no longer exit the second lens as a parallel beam. In fact, if the disc drops, the final beam converges slightly inward, or if the disc rises, the final beam diverges slightly outward. Remembering what we just learned, let's fold the beam path back into its true configuration. You can then see how lowering or raising the disc causes the beam to shrink or grow at the photocell. We could then use a detector consisting of a center circle and a surrounding ring. If the disc starts to move downward, the beam focuses inward, depriving the ring of any light. This change is then programmed to reduce the current to the electromagnet, dropping the lens. Or, if the disc tries to move upward, the portion of the light striking the ring increases, programming more current to the magnet, which raises the lens. Most DVD drives use an even more precise way of sensing disc movement. This involves an astigmatic lens, a lens that is curved more strongly side to side than top to bottom. Because more curvature means stronger bending, this lens focuses light more quickly in the horizontal plane than in the vertical. This produces the complex beam cross-section illustrated by the white rings. But if the disc moves downward, the light rays are already pre-bent a little bit as they enter the astigmatic lens, so that lens focuses even more quickly, moving the pattern closer to the lens. We then use a new detector with four central squares. It is placed so that if the disc is at just the right height and the incoming beam is parallel, then a circle of light strikes the detector. Each of the four squares then receive the same amount of light. But if the disc moves downward, the beam shifts toward the lens, producing a horizontal ellipse on the detector. The two side squares then get more light, and they signal the electromagnet to lower the lens. Or, if the disc rises, light on the detector shifts to a vertical ellipse. The stronger signal to the top and bottom squares then signals the lens to lift. There is just one more challenge, keeping the laser on track. A transparent diffraction grating is placed in front of the laser. Most of the beam passes straight through, but small amounts of light are diffracted forward and back, forming new side beams. These new beams scan for lane markers, which are additional dashed lines of pits on either side of the data track. If the laser beams are properly centered, the side beams miss the lane markers. If the lasers are centered, only the middle beam flickers as it encounters the data pits. But if the disc drifts to the right, the front beam hits the lane markers and starts to blink. Or if the disc drifts to the left, the back laser hits the markers, causing it to blink. This blinking tells the motor to drive the whole optical head, recentering it on the data track. Also, there are other small electromagnets that momentarily jog the lens to the side, helping it to center the laser as the motor catches up. So, as you have seen, our apparently simple DVD drives are remarkably clever and complex mechanical and optical assemblies. It is even more impressive that all of these components are miniaturized to fit into less than one-half cubic centimeter. To see for yourself, take apart the next DVD drive that you discard. In fact, we took apart several in researching this presentation.